بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ ٹوڈے از دا فورتھ آف جون ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا نائنٹینتھ So inshallah today going through up to and including verse 53. So verse 49. Hawadhi billahi minash shaitan rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Say, O mankind, I am sent to you only to give a clear warning. Those who believe and work righteousness, for them is forgiveness and a sustenance most generous. So in a report in Ibn Abi Hatim and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Muhammad Ibn Ka'ab al-Qurazi rahmatullahi said, whenever you hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, and he recited the end portion of verse 50, وَرِزْقٌ قَرِيمٌ A sustenance most generous. He goes, this means paradise. So one of the salaf said, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, For them is forgiveness and sustenance most generous, generous is paradise. So what's interesting, according to his understanding, how has Allah the Almighty described paradise? He's called it rizq or he's called it kareem. Kareem means noble or generous and rizq means blessings. So it's a very unusual description of paradise. And also, verse 51, But those who strive against our signs to frustrate them, they will be the companions of the fire. In Ad-Dur al-Mandur, Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Mujahid, he recited this portion of verse 51. وَالَّذِينَ سَعُوا فِي آيَاتِنَا مُعَاجِزِينَ But those who strive against our signs to frustrate them, he said this means, to discourage people from following the Prophet ﷺ. So anybody who discourages people from following the Prophet ﷺ, Allah is threatening them here. And also in another report in Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Ibn Abbas said to frustrate the Mu'ajizin means to resist the believers stubbornly. So who is Allah the Almighty and Glorious saying that they will be companions of the fire? Those who, number one, discourage the people from following the Prophet and also to resist the believers without any ration. I stubborn. Verse 52. Never did we send a messenger or Prophet before you. But when he did recite, Shaitan threw some into his recitation. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cancel anything that shaitan throws in. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will confirm and establish his signs. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is full of knowledge and wisdom. So here there's a report. So the hadith is in Sayyid Bukhari and Ibn Kathir's tafsir. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he recited this portion from the middle of verse 52. Fi umniyyateh. Into his recitation, he explained, when he وسلم, spoke, the shaitan threw some falsehood into his speech. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abolished that which the shaitan threw in. 
So if you look at the sequence here, in the previous verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who discourage people from following the Prophet resist the believers, they are the people of the fire. So who is the classic archetype of that? Shaitan. So Allah mentions him here and he mentions one of the games he plays because he would throw something into the recitation of the Prophet. But Allah would cancel this, he says in the verse. So this is the explanation of Ibn Abbas in Sayyid Bukhari and Ibn Kathir's tafsir. So now here, what's being referred to? So these are called or referred to as the satanic verses. So what's the background? So the report, I'll just give you the report, I'll give you the reference in a bit. It was said that the Prophet ﷺ, he recited Surah Najm in the Holy Masjid. And when he got to these verses, Surah Najm 19 and 20, Have you not considered Lat and Uzza and the third of the three, Manat? At that point, Shaitan interjected the following words into the ears of the unbelievers. These lofty swans, surely their intercession is a thing coveted. So stop in the report. So according to this report, Rasulullah is reciting Surah Najm and he recites the verses 19 and 20 where Allah says, Have you thought about Lat Uzza and the third? Manat. And then apparently Shaitan added something and the Kufar heard it. He goes, These lofty swans, their intercession is a thing to be coveted. Then it says, it is alleged that the Prophet prostrated himself, and following him, the Makkans prostrated themselves. When this story reached Abyssinia, the Muslims thought that the Quraysh had embraced Islam. So this is the gist of it. So the gist of the report is, Shaitan added a few things into the revelation. So now where is this recorded? It's recorded in Ibn Sa'ad bin Istabakat through Waqidi, therefore it is very weak. Tabri in his tafsir. In his chain, Abu Ma'shar is one of the narrators, he is weak. Behaki in his Delay al Nubu'a 2 285, again with a weak chain. This narrative is not recorded in any of the six famous collections Bukhari, Muslim, Nasai, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, nor Imam Ahmad. No other reliable books have entered them in their works. So this narrative cannot be found in the most famous collections of hadith. It is a false report, both narration-wise as well as text-wise. Here are the opinion of the scholars. So first, Ibn Kathir. So Ibn Kathir in his tafsir, he says, 3-229, Many commentators of the Quran have mentioned this story. But all of them have the name of the companion missing. I have not come across a single narration with a complete chain. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So Ibn Kathir said, all of the reports are mursal. There is no sahaba in the chain at all, in any of these chains. Qadi Iyadin al-Shafa, 2-750. He said, as for the first source, it might be sufficient for you to know 
that none of the six canonical collections have mentioned this story and that no trustworthy narrator has narrated it through an unbroken chain. There are many broken chains of narration that carry different versions of the story, some contradicting the other. So Qadi Iyad stopped in the court. He said they are nothing authentic, they're broken chains and also these broken chains contradict each other. He then said, it seems to be popular with those commentators and historians who go after every bizarre story. They piece together material both dubious as well as those of trustworthy origins. But none of the commentators or the historians have been able to cite a good chain. Nor has anyone claimed to have heard it directly from a companion. Most of the chains are worthless. So he says what Ibn Katid said. There's no Sahaba who's narrating this. And most of the chains are worthless. Then, what did Hafiz Ibn Hajar Asqalani say? In Fattal Bari 18-41, he said, after mentioning a few chains, all of them are untrustworthy, except Sa'id ibn Jabal, they are either untrustworthy or the chains are broken. However, the fact that it is so well spread a story indicates it has a basis, especially when it has one or two chains, that are broken just after the Prophet but are otherwise trustworthy that can be judged by the criterion of Bukhari and Muslim. So Ibn Hajar Asqalani says the hadith are all have weakness but there's one he says that seems to pass was from Saeed ibn Jubair and he goes it must have some basis. Shaykh al-Bani he has written a short book on this subject he has collected all the traditions speaking of this narrative and demonstrated the weakness or spuriousness of every one of them. He has also demonstrated that there are some reports, Mursal, that have trustworthy chain of narrators. That is, these reports that miss a Sahaba with the originator directly speaking on behalf of the Prophet. So, Shaykh al-Bani said that there are some sound chains, though it's Mursal. He too agrees with Hafiz ibn Hajr that when so many narrations are there on the subject, although all of them are weak, they have to have some basis. But he differs with Ibn Hajr Asqalari in his conclusions. Ibn Hajr accords strength to the weak reports. Whilst he says, when several chains of transmission are available and the originators are distinctly placed, then that is a sign that the story has a basis. In contrast, Shaykh al-Bani does not believe that several chains of hadith strengthen each other if they are all weak. He rejects them all because according to him, weak reports do not strengthen each other. So the scholars, the vast majority said, these cannot be looked at. They are not strong enough to be looked at. Hafiz ibn Hajjad said that there is one sound report. And Shaykh al-Bani says, no, because it cannot, so there's a difference. Imam Sayyuti, rahmatullahi, in his Tadrib al-Rawi 1-198, he says, if a mursal has a strong chain of narration and compares well with another, either mursal or musnad, without a break, and the narrators are all different, then the report is trustworthy. So Imam Suyuti makes a very important distinction because the mursal can only be used 
if we are supporting text i which then can elevate that report imam shafi rahmatullahi in his ar-risala page 461 he has written something similar except he accepts marasil of prominent second generation followers tabi'in alone on the condition that the narrators named in that report are all trustworthy and who did not say anything in contradiction to the reported text he also adds the condition that number 1 a companion should have something similar to say and number 2 more scholars should have decreed his legality in substance if such conditions are not met the mursal report is not acceptable that imam shafi so imam shafi rahmatullah alayhi he accepted some of the authentic mursal reports for example saeed ibn al-musayyib but he posed two conditions it must be backed up from a sahaba so these reports don't have a sahaba in the chain secondly the report must have decreed legality meaning is it has to have something in terms of substance if that is not met he will not accept the mursal and there is no doubt about it that such conditions are not found in the issue under discuss in consideration therefore ibn hajar imam sayyuti said declaring one of the chains authentic this is an error then imam muslim what did he say imam muslim in his introduction 1-3 he states a mursal report is neither acceptable to us nor to others so imam muslim flat out rejected it ibn salah rahmatullah in his introduction page 58 he said what i have stated as the refusal by the scholars to use a mursal report and the untrustworthiness of such reports is what the majority of hadith scholars have adopted as a principle this can be observed from their works Although the schools of Imam Malik and Imam Abu Hanifa have believed in relying on mursal when necessary. So Ibn Salah said the vast majority of scholars refused the mursal. And the two imams, Imam Abu Hanifa and Malik rely upon it when there's a necessity. As for Imam Shafi, he accepts them on certain conditions which I've mentioned. Usage of mursal reports is restricted to minor issues in law. where total freedom from the conjectural is not a necessary requirement dependence on it in matters of faith and beliefs is out of the question so this is a matter of belief so when shaitan interjected with these so called verses that's a matter of belief how can you accept mursal reports in matters of belief hafiz ibn jawzi rahmatullah alayhi he said in this fatul mughith page 114 every hadith that you find completely opposes reason and intellect or contradicts a well established principle is a fabricated one it should not be passed down so ibn jawzi who was known for his strictness he goes anything that goes against established mutawatir authentic belief forget it leave it ibn abu hatim razi rahmatullah alayh in his introduction to arjarh wa ta'dil page 351 he wrote hadith trustworthiness will depend on the narrators it has to have a text that is worthy of consideration as a statement of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam now what reason however weak would agree that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam who brought a message of such pure and unadulterated tawhid should make a deal with the pagans 
by prostrating himself to their goddesses and then attribute those words to Allah. Because it doesn't make sense. So if the Prophet prostrated because of venerating those uh, angels, those gods that the shaitan put into the verses, what's happened to Tawheed? <laughs> He's compromised with Tawheed. Then, what's even more glad, one of the Quranic verses that contradicts is the following. So this is recorded uh, in Surah Hijr, Surah 15, verse 42. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Verily you, I shaitan, shall have no power over my servants except such as the rebellious ones who follow you. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Shaitan has no power over the servants of Allah except the rebellious ones. So is Rasulullah rebellious? Contradicts the Quran. Shaitan himself acknowledged he will have no power over the servants of Allah. In Surah Sa'd, Surah 38, verse 82 to 3, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes him. فَبِعِزَّتِكَ لَأُغْوِيَنَّهُمْ عَجْمَعِينَ إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَسِينَ By your izza, I shall mislead every one of them except your true slaves. So shaitan goes, I have no power over your true slaves. And another verse, Surah 16, verse 99, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Verily, he has no power over those who believe in him, and in him they place their trust. So who from amongst the prophets and messengers, alayhi salatu wasalam, was truer in his faith and had greater trust than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And just to put this fable to bed, even if you look at the reports which are mentioned, the Mursal reports, it contradicts the six versions of the event. Number one, one version says that the incident took place after Salah. Number two, another incident mentions it happened during Salah. Number three, the Prophet spoke to himself by Allah. He was the one who uttered those words. Number four, Shaitan spoke it out by his tongue. Number five, the Prophet said it in a state of extreme tiredness. Number six, Shaitan was able to snatch a short spell of silence during which he recited it in the Prophet's style and accent. Which one is it? So all of the reports which are mursal and very weak, they contradict each other. So why have you accepted it? So why am I mentioning this at length? Because these are the satanic verses. And you need to explain it. I.e. With, with logic and reason, of course, what the scholars have mentioned. So the verse reads, verse 52, Never did we send a messenger or a prophet before you, but when he did recite, shaitan threw something into his recitation. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cancel anything that shaitan throws in, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will confirm his signs, for he is full of knowledge and wisdom. Verse 53, That he may make the suggestions thrown in by shaitan as a fitna for those in whose hearts is a disease. And who are hardened of heart. Verily, the oppressors are in a schism, far I from the truth. So there's why this incident, if it at all happened, Allah Ta'ala is saying, this is a fitna. Allah Ta'ala goes, this is a fitna for those who have a disease and who have hardened hearts. So now, Shaykh Maududi, just to mention what he says about this incident. And 
So in his commentary, he says, if you read the verses 19 to 23 of Surah Najm, and you add what shaitan put in, so I'm going to read the verses in English, and I'm going to put what shaitan put in. So the verses read, Have you considered Lat and Uzza and the third Manat, shaitan's insertion, these are exalted goddesses. Indeed, the intercession may be expected. The verses continue. What do you have sons for yourselves and daughters for him? This is indeed an unfair division. They are nothing but mere names which you and your forefathers have invented. The Sheikh then said, Even a casual reader will detect an obvious contradiction in the sacred passage. Immediately after praising, in inverted commas, the goddesses, there is a hard hit on their worshippers, as if to say, O foolish people, how is it that you have ascribed daughters to Allah and sons to yourselves? All this is your own invention. On the face of it, the interpolation makes the passage absurd, which cannot be assigned even to a rational person, not to speak of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the story presumes that all the Quraysh who were listening to it must have lost their senses. Otherwise, they could not have declared that their differences with Muhammad had been made up from here. From this internal evidence, it has become clear that this story is absurd and meaningless. So, the context, it doesn't make sense. Even if you say, okay, Shaitan put these words in, but the whole passage contradicts itself. So, Shaykh Maududi says, it's foolish to believe this. Then he says, it is worthwhile to consider the following question. How is it that so many reporters of traditions have related the story? So this is a good question. Okay, you've proved that none of the narrations are authentic. You've proved that they're all mursal. you proved it contradicts the Quran, no doubt. But why is it in the books? What's the base? Something, you know, what's caused this to occur? Does it not show there must have been some reality? So, in answer to this, the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, Nasai Abu Dawud Ahmad mentioned what happened. And what does it say in summary? Rasulullah recited the entire surah, sallallahu alayhi wa Everybody prostrated. Rasulullah, the companions, the jinn, and also the unbelievers. So that's what's mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim. No mention of the satanic verses. <laughs> Shaykh Maududi then says, Rahmatullah As regards the story that the Prophet praised the deities of the unbelievers, it appears that the Quraysh concocted this to hide their defeat. Probably someone or other of them explained away their defeat, saying, We ourselves heard Muhammad praise our deities. Sallallahu alayhi wa Therefore, we also fell into prostration with him. So think about that. They all prostrated. Why? Because of the magnificence of the Quran. But straight after that, they're looking at each other. <laughs> because, hang on a minute. Why did you just prostrate? So they concocted it. Because, oh, no, no. He goes, did you hear? He praised our gods. And this rumor, he goes, spread. So it was a sign of their defeat. Then Shaykh Maududi says, Naturally, these three things, Prostration by the Quraysh, their explanation of it, and the migrants' return combined to evolve this story. So much so that some authentic people were deluded by it, for to err is human. 
and the pious and intelligent people are no exception. However, the error of the pious proves to be more harmful because their followers accept with closed eyes their misconceptions along with their right conclusions. On the other hand, mischief mongers collect all sorts of errors of the righteous and exploit them, which they have done here with the satanic verses. So Shaykh Maududi, he looks at it from that angle. And before wrapping this up, there's another explanation. So Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, in his Fatt al-Bari, uh, 8-439-440, he states, Qadi Iyad did well when he said, so Ibn Hajar rahmatullah, is praising Qadi Iyad, and he goes, he's done extremely well when he said. He gave three reasons. Number one, it is possible that the Prophet was mentioning the belief of the pagans by way of derision, noting that at that time it was allowed to speak in Salah. Because that's one explanation possible if you're going to accept these reports. So Rasulullah is reciting the verses in Salah and at that time you were allowed to speak in Salah. So then Allah, the Prophet then mentioned those words. If you look, look at these gods that they worship. Because that's one explanation. To this position leaned Ibn al-Baqilani, the second. When he reads the words in the Quran, have you thought upon Lat al-Uzza Manat the third? The pagans feared lest he would add something to mock their gods. So they hastened to interject and jeer so as to cover up what was coming next as was their habit. So how do we know this was their habit that they would interject the Quran? The Quran says it. In Surah 41 verse 26, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who disbelieve say, Heed not this Quran. Drown the hearing of it. Happily you may conquer. So they interjected. They thought, oh no, he's going to start ripping into our idols. So they interjected. This act on their part was attributed to shaitan, as it was he that inspired them to say this. Or what was meant, it was the human shaitan. So when the Quran says the shaitan interjects, they say, those who accept these reports, that it was the human shaitan who interjected here because they feared that he's going to attack their gods. Third meaning. Or it was also said that the Prophet used to recite the Quran slowly so that the shaitan lay in wait for one of the pauses and uttered the words in question with the same timbre of voice. Those that were near him heard it as if it was coming from Rasulullah and they attributed it to him. This is the best of all interpretations, said Qadi Iyad. So Ibn al-Arabi, again, Fat al-Bari, he also approved of the latter interpretation saying, the verse, and we're going through the verse, verse 52, never send we a messenger or a prophet before you, but when he recited, shaitan added in respect to his recitation. This is an explicit proof text in our school to the innocence of Rasulullah of what was imputed to him. The meaning of Amaniyah in the verse 2052 means recitation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore informed us in this verse that his way with his messengers is that when they say something, shaitan adds something to it on his part. This is an explicit proof text that it is shaitan that conveys this statement inside the Prophet's words. It is not the latter that says it.
A precedent for this view was given by Imam Tabari in keeping with his high erudition, vast learning and perspicuous analysis. He declared it the correct interpretation and settled on it. So this was the full quote of Ibn Hajar Asqalani Rahmatullah and he explains. So why have I gone through this at length? Because the Kufar to this day are fond of the satanic verses. Because Muhammad was following shaitan. He himself testified to it. And they quote these reports. So our knee-jerk reaction is we don't accept it. And then they start quoting references. You don't accept Bihaki. You don't expect Ibn Sa'd. You don't expect Ibn Jarir. And the next minute, what, what's happening? There you go. <laughs> they go, shaitan interjected because he's been inspired by shaitan. So then the question is, if it's in our books, we need to explain it. How do you explain it? And that's what I've just done for the last 20 minutes. You go through it. If you've got time, you can go through it. And the scholars have answered it at length. So the simple explanation is, they don't carry anywhere these reports. There's not a single sahab who narrated the report. They're all mursal. And even the ones that are sound, if you look at the reports, they contradict. There's six different contradictions in the mursal reports. It goes against our belief of the prophets. So how can you accept a weak mursal or fabricated report against our belief. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So it's a fabricated report. So then they say, yeah, but what do you say about this verse then? So you can't say this verse is fabricated. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Never did we send a messenger or a prophet before you, but when he recited, shaitan threw something into his recitation. Because it's in the Quran. Quran, you can't reject the verse of the Quran. And the response to that is, with shaitan. The actual shaitan or the human shaitan. Quran says there's human shaitan. So then you go to the interpretations. They say, they realize that we prostrated. We're going to have to say something to, you know, to prove that this prostration of ours was some sort of compromise by Muhammad. So they inserted the verses. So Allah says shaitan inserted it. Why? Because shaitan inspired them to do this. So all of this is clarification. But the next thing is what's verse 53. In verse 53, Allah Ta'ala then says, and this shows he knew this was going to happen. In verse 53, he says that he may make the suggestions thrown in by shaitan as a fitna. fitna. For those for those in whose hearts is a disease. So if you have a disease in your hearts, this will rankle. It's in a good play. If it's gone out of your heart, you haven't got a disease. And who are hardened of heart? Verily, Verily, the wrongdoers are in a schism, far eye from the reality. So this is the reality, i.e. with regards to the satanic verses. But, Alhamdulillah, if you go through the correct channels, you get the correct understanding. And uh, was... Salman Rushdie, his book in reference to this, he actually makes a reference to this, the satanic verses. Right? But Bali Bali Musulman just started going on marches. Well, hang on a minute. Is he, was he quoting the, is he actually making something up? No, he's not making something up. He's quoting our references. Why are you slandering Salman for? Even though we don't, you know, we know if he doesn't repent, he's in serious trouble, but don't lie about him. He's actually quoted references. But people get emotional. They don't know nothing about the Quran. They don't know nothing about Surah Najm. 
They don't know nothing about Surah Hajj. They don't know nothing about the commentators. They don't know anything about the clarification. Let's go on a march. Burning, you know, his book. So the book is called the Satanic Verses. And then instead of going on, you know, getting emotional, you can use that to guide a person to the Quran. You're a Muslim. You should be knowing this. And even recently when they did that film, you know, the Lady of Light. And everybody's going to the cinemas. Oh, we won't tolerate this. You're disrespecting the companions, this, that. One brother came to me because what's the film about you? And he went to the actual place, you know, hoofing and puffing. What are you hoofing and puffing for? Don't even know what you're doing. Right? And these are the Muslims, just emotional. You know, best to know, to calmly rebut them, you know, show the reality, the truth. So I'll decide the verses. Let me go to أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل يا أيها الناس إنما أنا لكم نذير مبين فالذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات لهم مغفرة ورزق كريم والذين سعوا في آياتنا معاجزين أولئك أصحاب الجحيم وما أرسلنا من قبلك من رسول ولا نبي إلا إذا تمنى ألقى الشيطان في أمنيته فينسخ الله ما يلقي الشيطان ثم يحكم الله آياته والله عليم حكيم ليجعل ما يلقي الشيطان فتنة للذين في قلوبهم مرضوا والقاسية قلوبهم وإن الظالمين لفي شقاق بعيد We pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He makes the Quran the Nabi of our hearts We pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>